Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to put the shades on, fasten your seatbelt, and mash the gas pedal, because it's time for Automation Avenue, a podcast for retail and financial leaders looking for ways to automate and accelerate their businesses. Welcome back, folks. It has been a little while. I apologize. I believe it has been since October since the Automation Avenue podcast has hit the airwaves, but we are excited to be back and I think we have a great episode. We have Suzanne Arnaud from the McLean Group here and in this podcast we are really wanting to talk about how we promote a culture of engagement at the branch level. We want to talk about the new staffing and how to do hiring in this crazy new world of retail banking and credit union Landia. Uh, We want to talk about some best practices and how we can get leadership buy-in and trying to get consensus among leadership and how we move forward. So first, I want to introduce Suzanne, and why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, what the McLean Group does for community financial institutions. Great. Thanks, Sean, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. A little about my background. I've spent around the past 17 years or so in retail banking and consulting. Had the opportunity to work for a tier one or top five bank where I spent time as a branch manager, the service leader excellence director, and operations manager. And that all of that lended to my experience in transitioning into consulting. Truly have a passion for community banks and credit unions. And what I've been able to do in a consultatory form is be able to lend expertise around what my passion is, and that's around the people in the training and bringing a delightful customer or member experience. Now, I know uh, you have a business partner who is not here who has a, let's say, a complementary skill set. So, so maybe just introduce a little more of, of her side briefly, even though we're not focusing on that particular segment, but, you know, kind of what else does the McLean Group do? Certainly. Catherine Lewis, who is my partner in the McLean Group, does bring a complementary skill set. You know, our motto is really driving data-driven analytics to bring the delightful experience, crafting convenient and meaningful experience. And so with her background in research, GIS, and uh, data analysis, it really is complementary. We're able to take a holistic approach to the new branch experience from what are your members and consumers? How are their behaviors? How do they represent in the marketplace? What do those potential consumers look like? And then mapping out the solutions that best fit the institution. Yeah, I know we certainly have a lot of clients who will say, well, we think we got a good deal on this piece of property and we're thinking about expanding into that market and they end up investing in the wrong location that they thought was a great deal, but ultimately isn't going to drive a profitable or uh, a way to grow Mm -hmm. their membership or consumer base. So very valuable skill set to have. So let's talk a little bit about this new world. You know, there's universal staff, which I am a big fan of. And as we've talked before, I I believe you are a fan of as well in the right environment. (laughs) Uh, There is still a lot of traditional teller line out there. Uh, We have old school kind of transaction focused tellers. And now we have this shift to more of a sales culture or relationship deepening uh, focus in the branch. So what what are your thoughts on um, some of these topics and best practices for staffing and, and what staffing model really lines up nicely for this branch transformation, branch of the future, branch of right now? Exactly. The future is here. 
So I think those are a lot of topics that we're going to hit a little bit on. So let's start with saying that every institution's situation is unique. There is no cookie cutter approach that works well. And in fact, within their own network, there could be different types of needs from a traditional teller line in one market where universal staffing can work in another market. So the first piece is you really have to dig into the data. You have to understand what is happening, not only in the branch, if you're looking at transforming an existing branch, but as if you're even looking at expanding or opening new branches, you still need to look at the data, potential metrics, you know, what is the deposit potential here? What's the loan potential? To really understand the best type of staffing approach. I am a huge advocate of the universal staffing model. I do think that in most situations, it does fit well. As consumers are becoming more and more savvy, we really need to turn that, like you said, into a relationship building opportunity versus a transaction driven environment. Pers I know personally when I interact, I one of the concepts I like about Universal is I, I have that person that pretty much no matter what I want to achieve in the branch that day, that person can do that for me versus I've had the opposite of that approach mm -hmm. where, oh yeah, you'll have to sit in those four chairs over there and I look and three of them are already filled and I'm on a lunch break and I don't want to wait 45 minutes yes. to do whatever I have to do with the CSR, so to speak. So what are some of the key factors in your opinion or what are the, the attributes that you like most about universal staff? I do believe that the one-on-one -on -one relationship is the key. If I come into an institution, I want to talk to you, tell you my needs, and you not either have to point me to someone else, which happens to be a pet peeve of mine, or even direct me to someone and say, oh, well, you know, Sean will see you. He's got two customers in front of you, so you don't mind waiting, do you? So it is definitely building that one-on-one -on -one relationship. It is all about how you engage with the customer from the minute they step in the door. Remember, you only have five seconds to make a great first impression. You can't go back and change that. And if you walk in and there's no one there to greet you or to uncover what you've come in for today, you're, you're already behind the game because you have lost the opportunity to wow your consumer. So speaking of wowing the consumer, um, we certainly talk to a lot of community institutions and if you ask them, how they are different from the institution across the street. It's their service and their people, uh, which that's amazing that every single one of them mm -hmm. has that answer. So if we look at that and we look at if the product set really isn't different, I mean, they, they handle money, they loan money. So if, if there is no unique product set, how are these institutions going to set themselves apart in today's world where you have the Apples, the Amazon, the Zappos, as you've mentioned here, mm -hmm. How does that expectation of retail now come into financial institutions and in creating that branch experience? Well, you hit the nail on the head is consumers today know what they want. We've had the experience, you said Apple, Zappos, Amazon, personal shoppers at Nordstrom. So they've set the bar really high for financial institutions. And in a way, financial institutions need to start mirroring those type of associates. So it all goes back into Who's staffing your branch? Do I have the right complement of frontline staff to match my consumer base? It doesn't matter your generation, baby boomer, golden generation, millennial, everyone is savvy. You know, my retired 65-year-old baby boomer father is more savvy on his smartphone and online banking than I am. <laughs> But then again, so is my 13-year-old son. 
So you have to be able to appeal across all generations. And in order to do that, you have to have that high-tech, high-touch associate in your branch, welcoming them, assessing their needs, matching their needs, and then enriching the whole relationship. So yes, everyone says all oh, our people are the differentiator, but if you look across financial institutions as a, as a whole, we're behind the game. We really have to step it up. Absolutely. So, you know, with financial advice being such a key part and, and these institutions being a part of the community, um, we, it's funny. I, th- I think even some people think the quote unquote bank is out to get them. So how does how does a bank change their image to become a destination? And as you've gotten, if, as if you've got here in our notes here, instead of oh, I have to go to the bank today, it's I get to go to the bank right. today. So how do how do we make that experience happen? We have to change the way that we look. If the Apple Store looked like your local branch on the corner, would you want to go to the Apple Store? <laughs> Very well put. So you have to create an environment that makes it appealing and, like I was saying, excited to go. I want to go to the bank because, well, now I'm going to get free coffee. My Wi-Fi is free, so I can send these through a couple of emails that I've dictated on my drive over to the bank, and they'll send, and I don't have to worry about data charges. Plus, I'm going to have that one-on-one experience. My banker's going to know me. From the minute I walk in the door, they're going to greet me by my name. They're going to ask me those questions. They're going to find out what I need. And they're going to be geniuses <laughs> on financial products. They're, they're the experts. Remember, we live in an omni-channel environment. Unfortunately, we're just not there in financial institutions today. We're doing a great job of building online platforms. You know, as the telephone banking is going away and online is becoming more prevalent, that's where money's being invested. However, if we don't start investing in the people in the branches, they're not going to have an omni-channel experience. So I'm going to get a better experience with my smartphone than with a face-to-face banker. That's not going to make me happy as a consumer. Right. That's a powerful disconnect. So with that segue in mind, what, what are you seeing going on in staffing? And as we are coaching people about hiring, maybe the person that's been there 20 years is not the person to go on in this environment. What have you seen from looking at client engagement and creating that experience? Mm-hmm. How does hiring practices change? And maybe even down to what level does that happen? For instance, I was at a branch yesterday who had, I think, one of the best staff, frontline staff I've been around. And as I talked to leadership, that was really driven almost by their local person for that office who has changed the type of the type and caliber of person they've hired. So so walk us through kind of how hiring is changing and what are maybe some of the keys to look for. Okay. So I think that you have to approach it differently from a de novo office to transforming an existing office because a lot of times when you're transforming an existing office, you already have a full complement of staff. So one of the questions that you have to ask yourself in that scenario is, does this staff deliver the experience I'm trying to engage my customers or members in? Unfortunately, a lot of the times the answer is no. You know, it's, you know, Terry Teller, who's been here for 30 years, and she is great. And I love Terry because she knows all of her customers. But in our new environment, open concept, where there is no traditional teller line because we're moving away from that, 
is Terry going to be able to take care of my customers or members the way that I need them to? And Terry may not be comfortable in that And Terry may not want to. So there are <laughs> going to be some tough conversations as you look at transforming an existing office. But there could still be a place for Terry. It is reallocating. It's almost like playing chess. You have to make sure that you have the right fit in this new branch because this is going to be your flagship, especially if this is your first step or toe dip into branch transformation. You've got to have the best of the best. So it's looking at reallocating resources as well and thinking about what's that job description look like. That's totally got to change for a universal banker. You can't take a teller job description, slap the label universal banker on there and add, oh, you've got to talk about products and services and call it done. It is all about changing that, and it's becoming less transaction-focused and more relationship-building-focused. So that, I think that is the first step. When you're looking at external hiring for either a transformation of a branch or de novo, look outside of banking. That is my number one probably takeaway for anyone or every conversation that I have with institutions about hiring practices is the best people aren't always in banking. You can teach somebody how to count money and how to be a banker. You cannot teach somebody how to have great service skills. You can enhance the service skills they already have and you can tailor them to fit your need at your institution, but you can't teach them to be outgoing. You can't teach them to have a conversation. So you have to hire for qualities that you want your associates to have. So I call them a core competency set. What are those five to six characteristics that you want your associates to have? And go look for them. Look at retail. They've done a great job in hiring this way because they can teach you how to sell clothes, phones, computers, whatever it is. But it's those service skills that are key. And obviously being the technology company on the, on the podcast here today, I think it's important to have technology that enables that staff to thrive. So if we're going out and getting those key attributes, one of which is not handling cash as part of that, well, now we can enable those staff with a device that's there to handle the cash yes. for them, a.k.a. a cash recycler or a cash dispenser that takes that burden of we're not looking for someone that has balanced to the penny their entire exactly. career or has 20 years of running a cash drawer, but they are really good at relationship building, interacting with customers, and they're comfortable in that environment. And hey, they can just take this this ugly, nasty cash and just drop it in a machine and get a nice count and do the transaction part. What about interviewing and things like that? So how, how does that you know, process all of a sudden change that we're, you know, we're not looking at, you know, the tellers that are around the, around the corner. So are, are there different questions that get asked? There are. Once you've identified the core competencies or skill sets, you build your interview around those. It's no longer, well, tell me what you're really good at or what did your manager say on your last review is what you need to improve. That is not going to tell you how they're going to perform in this new type of environment or at your institution. So we want you to identify those core competencies. It's building an interview guide based on that and thinking through really behavioral or situational questions. You know, tell me about a time when, fill in the blank, so that I have to, as an interview candidate, think back and really give you an example. As the hiring manager, you're going to then be able to see how they handle adverse situations, sales skills, customer service skills, problem solving, all of those type of things in real life scenarios versus hypotheticals. Absolutely. Um, 
You've also got in the notes here about whether or not your staff mirrors your clients or mm -hmm. potential clients. So assuming we want to go into a new market that may be different from a market, maybe we've primarily served a rural community mm -hmm. and we're going into a slightly larger town, it sounds like that might be certainly a key consideration to at least think about. It, it is a very big consideration, and I'll just say a few things on that, is don't think that the only people that you're trying to hire for and draw in are millennials. So don't go hire a bunch of 22-year-old kids to run your institution. Does that not mean that you need to have some younger folks? Absolutely, because your millennials are going to gravitate towards millennials. But you also have to take care of your existing customers. Remember, baby boomers still hold the largest wallet share. <laughs> you need those. You need those customers or members. You need the millennials too because they're your next generations. As your golden generation is expiring, you need replacement customers, and the, the millennials are your target. So you're you do have to have a good balance of who is in the branch. So now we've got our staff hired. We may even have invested in some technology. Uh, cash handling technology, tablet technology, hopefully even some sort of CRM or sales back end as a financial institution. Mm -hmm. So now my universal staff members uh, have information at their fingertips. So let's talk about training. And while we are typically there for, let's say, a week training on how to balance mm -hmm. and use the equipment, what have you seen as some good uh, training metrics or best practices for converting from maybe a traditional to universal staff or a de novo? How, how does that training differ from maybe what a lot of institutions uh, use as their training platform today? Certainly. So I think institutions do a great job on kind of the basics, the operational training, systems training, technology training. That's your enabler to this new experience. So you've got to have that and have your associates feel very comfortable Unfortunately, I really think that's where it ends. What institutions really need to look at going forward is how do you train on the experience? That's just not going to happen. It's, it's not going to be, oh, I've got this great pretty new branch, all the bells and whistles, you know, the field of dreams, build it, they will come. No, they won't. You have to go get it. You have to be able to train on the experience. Awesome. Uh... So obviously they train on the experience and a week later now now we're going. I mean, what, what kind of uh, ongoing, what other investments can we make from a training standpoint? Although I think at the onset, the initial training is great. You're going to see immediate benefits from training on this new environment and the experience you're trying to create because you're, you're instilling behaviors into your associates. But it doesn't stop. You have to continue. And... Think of it from a managerial or senior executive level position is you have to invest in your people. You have every opportunity. Each client interaction is a coachable or teachable moment. Using it for positive reinforcement. Sean, I saw you with Betty Jo over there. What a great job you did. I loved how you asked her questions and were able to solve the needs she didn't even know she had. At a boy. So you have to have this. That's still a teachable moment because now Sean is all excited and pumped up. Hey, Suzanne said I did a really great job here. So I'm going to repeat that again with the next customer who comes in the door. Conversely, it's also an opportunity telling you, hey, Sean, you did a really great job. Let me tell you one thing you could have done differently and you'd have been able to close that sale today. So again, it's ongoing. It's ever changing and evolving. And not having you give away all your secrets here. So let's maybe take 
one or two changes to what may be a staff member scorecard. So a lot of institutions have these performance scorecards. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling in this new world they're going to look a little bit different. So maybe take one or two examples mm -hmm. of maybe new categories that are on the scorecard that may relate more to experience versus hey, you balanced again to the week and you, you know, what talk talk about how the, that scorecard may change a little well, I bit. I think for scorecards or performance management, that service has to be part of it, where typically it isn't today. It may be, oh, well, we do mystery shops and those all come back great. Customers love us. And eh, not always true. You do have to invest the money to measure your customer satisfaction within your branch. And so I think that is a metric that we're going to start seeing over the next few years really change the game for universal bankers in the branch. Yeah, I can I can open deposit accounts, I can do a loan, and I can cross-sell. And cross-sell is a really important metric. That is how you are going to gauge the relationship building or deepening and enhancing. The more products per household that you have, the more wallet share you're most likely to have. If you think about the average consumer, they have 18 household products spread probably across five or six institutions. How do you gain that wallet share? So cross-sell is still an important metric, but we're going to change how we're looking at it and how it's measured for associates. So shifting gears a little bit here. So in your experience, how do you feel technology plays a role? And as we talk about the shift uh, almost globally across the board in business towards self-service, maybe maybe talk about some key technology tools that you see as um, imperative in the new world and then how self-service may also play into that as well. Cash is still king. Cash is not going away. People still deal in cash, whether it is paper money, coin, or even paper checks. We're still going to have the need for transaction processing at the branch. I like it to a grocery store kind of scenario. I walk into the grocery store and I have two items. I am going self-service all the way. I don't need somebody's help. I want somebody to say hi to me and I want to know that that person is standing right there in case I have an issue. I always do with the salad bar. I can never get the code right. right? <laughs> Why can't they make that easier? But if I come into the grocery store and I've got a cart full of groceries, no way I'm tackling that on my own. I need somebody to do it for me. I want to make sure that it's right. Of course, I'm watching the monitor, make sure it's going on, but I don't want to do that. Same thing is for, for financial institution. If I come in and I only need to make a quick deposit, I want the option of self-service. Again, knowing someone is there in case I need assistance, there's a call button, there could even be video if it's after hours, but I want to know I have that assurance. But if I have several transactions, you know, I need to make a deposit, but then I also want to transfer some money. And, oh, my son said he needed some money, so I probably should put some in his account. That's way too much to handle on self-service. You still need that one-on-one -on -one interaction. But then again, that's where teller automation comes in. You know, if you look at institutions five years ago, the only thing you knew about the teller was the color of their hair because you saw the top of their heads. It was heads down. You know, 90% of the time was heads down counting money. Today, with teller automation, it's heads up. It's reverse. It's 90% heads up. So now I'm still being able to have a conversation with you, learn about what's going on, potentially uncover some financial needs you didn't even know you had, while technology is taking care of the transaction processing. 
Yeah, so you keep putting the same money in your son's account. Is he getting ready to go to school? Does he need his own account? Like, could we set him up? I mean, there's all those cross-sell opportunities because the teller has their heads up and is paying attention, hopefully, as opposed to counting. Or it's not, oh, what do you think of the weather today? Isn't it gorgeous? Well, yeah, it's gorgeous, so I want a boat. I want to be out on the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, we talk a lot with our clients about terminal velocity. So, again, I, I thought that description of self-service was perfect of, you know, I want to get in and get banking done. And normally maybe the first time that universal staff member is going to greet me and show me how simple these transactions are to do on my self-service device. And then the next time or two times later I come in and I remember, hey, that was really easy Mm -hmm. over there. And I see maybe two people waiting in line. I can get in in 30 seconds. And now as self-service transaction sets have grown and I can get uh, $187 out of the self-service device versus only being able to get 20s out of the ATM, uh, I can get a lot more transactions done quicker at self-service. So as we wrap up here, uh, let's let's look at what key takeaways our, our listeners can can act on, and and we are big on taking action here. So uh-huh. let's start with the first one of hiring practices. What what is a key takeaway on hiring practices for branch of now and branch of the future? Sure. The first step is always evaluate what you're doing today. What are your current practices? Do they align with the experience you're trying to deliver or designing? It's all about choreography. It's one of my favorite terms when you think about the interactions within the branch. So once you've looked at that, decided, okay, yes, either they match or they don't match, then it's it's taking proactive steps as you look for replacement or new hires. So I know one of the things uh, you help clients with is Typically, when we're looking at a lot of our clients, same way, they know they need to do something, but they get stuck in this paralysis by analysis, mm-hmm. and we have competing priorities. So I know one of the things your consulting group does is help generate consensus. So yes. as a key takeaway, you know, how, how have you been able or how do you start that process of going from competing priorities and nothing mm-hmm. getting done to let's start taking steps forward into this new world and making investments and before we become obsolete and get gobbled up by the healthier <laughs> institution that has already taken the steps. Exactly. I, I think you hit the nail on the head saying everyone realizes, I know we've got to do something, but where do we start? And a lot of that from our group's perspective is thinking through what we call a strategy workshop. Getting all your C-level executives, a representative from the branches too. I think that's really important, and I think it's a step that ivory tower suits sometimes are missing, is what's really happening in the pulse of the branches today. And sitting around a round table and executing this workshop, using a helix methodology and diverging and converging on strategies, so then you're able to pri- help prioritize where, where do we need to allocate resources first? Because they're probably all important. Everything in transformation is important. It's just how do you prioritize it, what fits best for your institution? And I know both of us uh, are in agreement on this. And 
there's no cookie cutter approach. There has yeah. been no silver bullet yet. Everyone is still trying to figure out what branch transformation looks like. And I think it's important to have groups like the McLean Group that are going to get in and really make you hone in on who you are as an institution and how do you want that experience to happen. And you may have something different about how you want your experience to be than the bank two cities over or the credit union next door. Everyone's kind of got their own unique uh, ideas and I think it's key is how do we have that represent itself in the branch whether that's digital signage that's representing that um, we certainly have a design build partner like a level five that does a great job in bringing branding to that experience and they've done some cool ones that I've seen bear state bank that's got a big mm-hmm. you know, bear over top of it that's just some neat stuff so um, you know I think these concepts are solid and it's important for you to take away that there there is no one size fits all and that's why you need to have these workshops to really figure out how are you as your institution going to be different in your town and your market. So lastly, you know, why again does automation make sense in this new world? So uh, I'll take this one. Um, again, talking about security and staffing and, and options for service, as we heard Suzanne talk about, uh, I think the grocery store model makes a lot of sense of if I just need to get transactions done quickly, a lot of those mundane, uh, quote unquote, and, and we'll use the term expensive transactions at the teller line can be migrated or moved off to some self-service channel, either there in the branch or maybe your ATM channel, depending on what you want to accomplish there. And as we open the branch up and we want to have this space in which to interact, normally the security officer gets a little anxious and you know we can't really operate with just a cash drawer and we've got ten thousand dollars in cash sitting on our great new pod now so you have to have devices like recyclers or dispensers that act as that secure area to store and manage cash so again we're not looking at the roots of the teller. She's, she has very pretty eyes and a very pretty smile. So we want her to engage with our customers and not be stuck with uh, her head counting down. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, I'll, I'll let you close on this. So uh, again, you've got here talking about the, the field of dreams. So uh, I know we are big proponents of investing the right amount of money in technology and not just buying the newest or the most expensive thing. So what's what's your opinion kind of on the on the technology side as we as we close out here? I love all the reasons that you talk about why technology enables the transformation. And a couple things that I want to make sure we close with is transformation does not mean redesigning the four walls in which the branch sit. It is redesigning the experience that you're creating. You need the technology to enable that experience. You can change the color of the paint, the carpet on an existing office, but that doesn't mean you've changed the experience you're driving for your customers. So you have to be able to do that and you need the technology to to enable that. As well as thinking through the experience, your employees have to be engaged. If they're not engaged, your customers aren't engaged. So they have to be excited. I mean, if I was still in a branch today and you told me, oh, I'm getting a new design to the experience that we're going to use self-service, and I'm stoked. I'm pumped about it, and I can't wait to share it with my customers. That's what you need from your employees. 
Awesome. So as we close here, uh, Suzanne, maybe you could let folks know uh, how they find you on the web. Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Any social media information? Feel free to plug away. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. So you can find our group on the web at www.themcleangroup.com. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. On any of those sites, you'll find our contact email information or phone number. We'd love to hear from you and how we can help you. And as always on Automation Avenue, we want to be of value to you. So if you have any topics or questions you would like us to cover, please email us at podcast at qualitydatasystems.com. And we would be delighted to try to bring value on that particular topic. Uh, you can find us also at qualitydatasystems.com slash podcast. Or you can also find us on Twitter at QDS underscore Lion. And thank you for your time today. Feel free to share this episode with your social connections. And until next time, this is Automation Avenue signing off.